Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. So glad we almost made it. So sad they had to fade it. Everybody wants to rule the world. The world. Uh, that's if they read the episode title and didn't just blindly click because they were so excited to listen to the Command Zone podcast featuring me, one of your hosts, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Weird and wacky and Indeed, we're talking about rules interactions, and we've had a lot of debate around the office because a lot of people didn't realize a lot of things we're about to say are actually true. Yeah, blow this, your minds. Magic is, by many measurements, the most complex game ever created. Um, yep. And you can play it for years and years and still come across sort of niche rules interactions that you don't know about. Yep. Or that you get wrong. I mean, Jimmy and I play all the time. We do this for a living. And all the time, stuff comes up in games where we're like, I think it's this. And then you do a little research. Nope, I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> that's are- why you're glad you have a friend at the table or someone nearby that can be like, or the internet, me, Mr. Judge, Mr. Internet, Mr. Person that spent more time looking at this. What happens? Yep. So often, though, knowing these weird sort of fringe cases can give you lines or sequences to victory in a game that you wouldn't be able to find if you didn't know about them. So today we're talking about the weirdest and wackiest MTG rules and interactions. And they're playing a fun too. There's a lot of people out there. I know who you are and you know who you are too that sit there and go, this is going to be great when I do this. They're not no even going to know. know. Yep. <laughs> I got to say, I, I'm sure you've had this happen to you, Jimmy, where when we started this topic, I was a little bit iffy. I was like, is there enough stuff there? Is it mm-hmm. going to be interesting? And then by the time the outline's getting done, I'm like, I'm excited to record this episode. This yeah. stuff is all really cool. We got five full pages of rules. No, six of them actually today. There, there's a ton of weird and wacky rules. But before we get into it, we got to talk about our sponsors. Yep. Channelfireball.com slash command. That's where you want to go if you're going to order magic products, singles, anything at all. You know, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty is right on the horizon. The set looks incredible so far yeah. from what we've seen jimmy you were involved in the launch event for it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh it looks beautiful the art's crazy it's a place everybody's wanted to go back to if you want to get your hands on the cards you can pre-order right now channelfireball.com slash command and you know what channel fireball's marketplace 
is actually one of the best place to buy specifically sealed product online. Oh, really? Yes, because their marketplace is all stores. Ah, uh, that's right. Now, that's if right. you're on other marketplaces, a lot of them are individuals selling their cards from their personal collection. That's right. They don't have access to cheap sealed product, so they're not really competing as much on, on that angle. Whereas Channel Fireball actually is because they're all stores, so they all have access to you know distributors and really yeah. cheap sealed products. So if you want to get your hands on a booster box, a collector's booster, whatever from Neon Dynasty, channelfireball.com slash command is going to be the best place to go to get it. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, in able to support the stores that you want, they're not going and selling on Amazon. No, they're selling on places like the Channel Fireball Marketplace. So support our show as well as stores that deserve it and get the sealed product that you need because I'm going to definitely, I've, I, I've sort of laid low on buying Magic product, but Kamigawa and Neon Dynasty is, I'm, I'm feeling very excited. Going to try and get those Neon Ink cards? I, the red you one. know, I'm not that, I don't have that much luck when it comes to cracking packs, honestly. What? Yes, you do. No, not compared to, okay, how about this? Maybe I've met too many people that are way better somehow than me. Anyway, our other sponsor for the show is Ultra Pro. Ultra Pro, when you get that card that I'm going to crack, which is that amazing neon ink. Red neon ink. Oh, yeah. I'm going to get it. I want to put it into an Ultra Pro sleeve, into a deck box. If I'm going to play with this in a deck, it's not just about the sleeve it's in. It's about the deck box. It's about the backpack you even put it into and how you pack it up. And so Ultra Pro has been the product that Josh and I have entrusted for decades now to protect our gear. And I love them very much. Yeah, they really are. We trust them personally. If you're going to put your cards into a deck box, it better be Ultra Pro into a sleeve it better be ultra pro i like what you said there even a backpack they make yeah. bags and, and things to carry they got uh, tons of stuff they've been around the game for a long time i guarantee you if you look up their product at the store you go to you're going to find something that actually fits what you need yeah it's all going to be high quality i have a backpack from ultra pro that i've had for like five years now. yeah 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 i yeah, still yeah. use it it's awesome yeah uh, and the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone you get all kinds of cool perks we've got a neon dynasty episode of game nights is coming out in a few weeks oh, we have yeah. some really uh, really big guest on that one you're gonna to get to see that early earlier than the general public if you're a patron if you're a patreon if you're a patron <laughs> uh you also get to see extra turns early all other perks like uh you get get to talk with jimmy and i on our discord server all kinds of cool stuff again patreon.com slash command zone is the place to go to join that Oh, yeah, and you also have a note here that we're actually doing exclusive content for a patron. Oh, right! Which is the first time we have ever done this, by the way. So we have a video that we'll have released by the time this episode comes out. Hopefully. Probably. If not, it's very, very soon on the horizon that we're only releasing it on Patreon. So if it's not going to go on our YouTube channel or anything at all, only the patrons will get to watch it. It's Jimmy and I our reaction doing commentary to the very first episode of Game Nights. Uh, yes. We sat down, we watched it, and we kind of told some behind-the-scenes story, talked about, I mean, that was, what, almost six years ago now? Yeah, it's so, kind of crazy. Yeah, so it's, it's it was a fun walk down memory, memory lane, and uh, I think it'll be fun for the patrons to join us for that. So another reason to join patreon.com slash command zone. And let's shout out that one lucky patron we mentioned from our Patreon. So this week's episode is dedicated, dedicated to, to Drew Wagers. Drew, you, wa you rock. You, you walk. You walk. Hopefully you walk, but you also definitely rock. All right, let's get into the main topic here, the weird and wacky rules of Magic the Gathering. I want to say that this episode idea was inspired by a recent video that Sam from Ristic Studies did Yay. on his YouTube channel. Sam's the best. Yeah, Sam's awesome. If you, if you don't know what Ristic Studies is, you should definitely go on over there. Uh, I'm sure we're showing the thumbnail on screen on YouTube. We'll also have the links to that video in the show notes. But that video by Sam was about the card Gifts Ungiven, which is banned in Commander, we know. Uh, <laughs> but it's about how Frank Karsten used his knowledge of the rules and sort of, you know, his in-depth knowledge of, mm -hmm. you know, rules that people didn't know surrounding the card Gifts Ungiven to find a sequence that gave him victory in sort of a high-stakes 
MTG tournament. We're going to talk about that more later, so I'm not going to give a ton of details. But that video got us thinking, you know, what other weird and unintuitive rules exist in Magic that might be important to know, you know, for a game of Commander. And after some research... We, we found quite a few. And they are very surprising in ways that hopefully will help benefit your gameplay. But if not, it's just kind of fun to know because it definitely is very interesting. Then, of course, before we talk about rules and complex interactions, we must give our traditional disclaimer. Yeah, yeah we have uh, trust but verify. And that's in reference to us. You should trust us but verify. Listen, we're pretty sure, and we researched this stuff pretty heavily, that we have gotten it right. But MTG is complex. If you have any questions, we encourage you to visit Judge Chat. Please use the Judge Chat, filled yeah. with qualified judges ready to answer your questions. And I think they enjoy doing it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be sitting in this live chat. It's chat.magicjudges.org slash rules. We will also have that link in the show notes. Okay, let's get into the cool, weird, and wacky rules. We're going to start with the rule that was referred to in the Rhystic Studies video. It's fail to find. Yep. So the rule states that if you're ever searching your library, you have the option to not actually find something. You can almost always fail to find what yeah. you're looking for. And why is this? I think it's because otherwise you'd have to give your deck to your opponent or a judge every time you were searching and failed to find so they could verify that you didn't have a legal target, right? Oh, I a see. And right. that's probably just too arduous for like tournaments and things. <laughs> to go through the whole thing. So they're like, guess, listen, yeah. you can just say you didn't find it and we will trust you and we'll put that into the rules so that we just don't have that gumming up the works. I yeah. think that's probably why they made that rule. I mean, it's definitely an interesting corner case because you would think, why would you want to fail to find? And so that seems like it wouldn't even come up that often. I mean, I think we've probably all played commander games if you've played for long enough where you crack a <laughs> fetch land and you go into your deck and you're just like, I do not have a forest left. I think especially for anyone that plays three colors and up, I've run into this many times yep. and it's been in Evolving Wilds or whatever. I've been like, uh-oh, I've uh, I've just played everything else out. This is I have just no basic those games. left. Yeah. Just, well, I somehow just drew every basic in my land. Yeah. So gifts on given. Again, we know it's banned in commander, but this is just an example we're using because there are other cards kind of worded similarly. It's an instant, but it says search your library for four cards with different names and reveal them. Target opponent chooses two of those cards, puts the chosen cards into your graveyard and the rest into your hand. Then you shuffle your library. So again, Frank Karsten decided he wanted two cards in his graveyard, specific ones. And the best way to do that was to only find two cards. Mm -hmm. And then the opponent had no choice but to put those in the graveyard. And the rest were zero, went back to his hand. Right. Now, Gifts Ungiven has since been errated and oracled to say, search your library for up, up to, to four cards. And they kind of learned this lesson, it feels like, and they templated a lot of our modern cards this way. So if you look at like explosive vegetation, search mm -hmm. your library for up to two basic lands. Plea for guidance, search your library for up to two enchantment cards. It's very common if something is tutoring for multiple cards for it to say the words up to now. Yeah. So oftentimes the, the only time you really see this being in play is when you're trying to actually sabotage someone's board. And the way you do that typically is if you're taking control of their turn. I'm not going to say anything more now because I feel like I'm going to bring up some bad memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, this has happened on game nights and extra turns, I believe. I mm -hmm. emrakuled you once. You yep. mind-slavered me. I got mind-slavered a couple times that game. These are cards that take control of your opponent during their turn, and you 
you're playing them during their turn. You're making the decisions for them. So yeah, this is when this comes up the most where you're like, play a fetch land, crack it, fail to find. So you just lose a land drop and a life. Yeah. So you can also do this with the uh, plea for guidances and the explosive vegetations and mm-hmm. those kind of things. Cause you can be like, I pay the mana, I play the card and then, oops, I didn't find any, any lands. I didn't find any enchantments, whatever. Yeah. So it can punish the player. And typically you're not going to be doing this on your side of the board unless you're just trying to, I don't know, mess around. It's going to be detrimental to you for the most part. There might be some corner cases where you would do it, but nothing springs to mind. Yeah. I think some people think, though, that you can always fail to find. And this was an interesting part when we were researching this because that is actually not the case. Yep. Search effects that do not require you to reveal what you've found, that only search for a number of cards must find that number of cards if possible. And we're going to put a rule on screen here. It's uh, (laughs) 701.19d. Yep, if in case you just want to throw that in the old noggin. All right, this rule says, if a player is searching a hidden zone simply for a quantity of cards, such as, quote, a card, end quote, or, quote, three cards, end quote, that player must find that many cards or as many as possible if the zone doesn't contain enough cards. And this seems like it'd be a corner case, but this actually is on cards that you see quite often. Yeah, so cards like Demonic Tutor, search your library for a A card. That is one card. You must find one card if there is one card in your library. You can't fail to find with Demonic Tutor. Vampiric Tutor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are tutors that find multiple cards. So increasing ambition is one you want to read. It. Right. Search your library for a card and put that card into your hand. And then if this spell is car- cast from your graveyard, then you search your library for two cards and put those cards into your hand. Then shuffle your library. So it has flashback. Yeah. And it is specifically saying two cards in the flashback part of it because you have to find two cards. You can't find just one. Here's an interesting one. Final parting. Oh, yeah. Three black, black for a sorcery. Search your library for two cards. Put one into your hand and the other into your graveyard. Then shuffle your library. So, Jimmy, let's imagine final parting. Mm -hmm. We know if there are if you cast it, you have to find two cards if there are two oh. cards in your library. <laughs> yeah. What do you think happens if you cast Final Parting and there's only one card in your library? I believe you have to put that card into your hand, but it says the other into your graveyard. Does it have to be the same one? It, it shouldn't be, right? Because they're kind of two separate things. Exactly. Woo! So you would draw the one card I'll that you've got left if right. you only have one card in your library because the other is kind of like the gifts ungiven, the remainder right. into your... Yeah. So it's tracking both parts of it even though the card doesn't specifically say that. Wow. Increasing ambition, if you flashed it back and you only had one card in mm-hmm. your library, you would draw your last card. But if you have two or more, you have to find two if it says a set number of cards, which is interesting. I didn't necessarily know the nuance of that part of the rule. Yeah, it's typically, you know, the game and people say read the card or reading the card explains the card. However, just like gifts ungiven, there are many versions of this that don't have the word up to in it and there is a gatherer text as well so that's another resource is gatherer.wizards.com and make sure you click gatherer text especially with all those old alpha cards they look very different so but if a card wants you to search for multiple multiple cards but yeah. requires you to reveal those cards in that case you can actually fail to find or find only partially find less than the full number so let's imagine that you've got grow from the ashes which is uh it says, search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. If this spell was kicked, instead search your library for two basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. And it has a kicker cost of two. So if you kick this spell, uh, the, the other one that's similar to this too, and I won't read the whole thing, is Reclaim the Waste. Right. Basically the same thing. If you kick Grow from the Ashes, because you are forced to reveal those cards, you could actually, in this case, find fail to find if you oh, wanted to. Oh, because or you, you have could to only, reveal it. Right. Or you could only find one. 
Gotcha. It, you're looking through your entire library. Because, again, I don't think they want your opponent to be like, do you really only have one force? What if you have a second one? I better look through your... You know what I mean? I need <laughs> yeah. to verify that. Right, right, so, right. So, where it's demonic, too, they're like, yeah. we know you got 40 cards in your deck, and so you can find one a of them. card, right, yeah. right. Okay, this makes sense. So, the revealing part of it allows you to actually choose the number. It allows the, your opponent to verify. To verify it, yeah. right, right. Wow, that is, um, well, definitely a cornered case. Hopefully, you're just going to get that full value, though. Yeah. If you ever take control <laughs> of somebody's hand, though, or their turn, you know, fail to find as much as you're allowed. Yep. Probably don't cast... I guess you cast Demonic Tuner and just find a land. Yeah, you can find a land. So, that's that's kind of hosing them. Yeah. Find or, a fetch land that you then crack and build Or you can find. find a removal spell to blow up their own stuff. Right. I like the fetch land that you then crack and build yeah. find. <laughs> yeah, the other version is a little, <laughs> little tough. Okay. All right. Speaking of controlling another player's turn... Ah, well, this is a little bit of a corner case, but this one is called Spell Skite. Good night. All right. So, Spell Skite, let me read it. It's two mana for an artifact creature. It's a horror. It's a zero four. But it has an activated ability that costs a Phyrexian blue mana. So you can pay either blue or two life, colon, change a target of target spell or ability to Spellskite. So okay. The wording here is very specific because you'll notice the, the letter A, again, plays yeah. a huge part in what makes this card interesting. So Spellskite's meant to be like, the way that's supposed to be played out is I have my commander out, I have Spellskite out, I go to Swords of Plowshares, Jimmy's commander, and he goes, nah, 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 nah. I'm, I'm going to okay. activate my Spellskite and make that Swords of Plowshares uh, target my Spellskite instead. Yep, and it was good in Modern because you could pay two life, so it technically was free in a lot of ways, and of course you need some protection for certain creature boards. Cool. It's actually quite good in Commander, I think a little bit underplayed in that you can also sort of snag auras and things with it. It makes mm -hmm. it turns off a lot of stuff. Yeah, because it says change a target of target spell or ability. So if an ability is creating a target or a spell is creating a target, then you can change that target. The target doesn't necessarily need to say destroy target creature or exile target creature. It can actually well, say something different. Yeah, actually the spell or ability doesn't even have to have a target. Oh, really? That's the funny thing. Change a target of target spell, but not target spell that's targeting something. Mm. So that's the interesting part here. Did you know that Spellskite's ability can target any spell or ability? Spellskite does not have to be the legal target of whatever the thing's doing. So it can actually target the activation of a fetch land. Wow. So that is hilarious. So a fetch land, so we'll say ta tap it, pay a life, and then sacrifice the fetch land to search your library for a land of sorts, put it on the battlefield, and shuffle. Spellskite can be like... I want to. I want that to target me. Yep. The ability of sacrifice Missy Rainforest to searching your library is now searching Spellskite. It's still searching your library. It does nothing. The right. Spellskite's just allowed to target that ability. Ah. So you can pay the two life and or the blue mana if you feel like it. Div you cast a divination. I, I won't get to draw the two cards. Neither will Spellskite. You'll still draw the two cards, but it is a spell that Spellskite's allowed to target. Interesting. And so this normally doesn't matter, right? Because you do that. Somebody cracks a fetch line, and you're like, I'll pay two life, and nothing happens. So it doesn't do anything. So normally, who cares? Right. So when does this actually matter in a game if you have a Spellskite out or if someone else does? Kind of similar to when you fail to find something. Mm -hmm. If you have taken control of another player's turn and they have a Spellskite, uh, you can kill them. Yeah, because every single time a target sort of thing happens, you're just like, pay two life, change that target to Spellskite. It doesn't actually change what happens, but I'm just paying two life. And this is an instant speed ability, so mm -hmm. I can actually just target the same thing in, in, until uh, they're dead. Right, so anyone just has to do a single action that has a target 
on a spell or an ability that spell sky can look at and be like actually i want that to target me and then you just activate it yeah i want it to target me again i want it to target me again i want it to target me again guess what i want it to target me again right. now i think you cannot pay life that you do not have right. so if they're in an odd amount of life they'll go down to one has to be an even amount of life total maybe you can do a very interesting you know deal with someone else to do one damage to you in that point you crack, that way, once yeah. again the answer is you crack their fetch line. you crack their fetch line yeah there For you go last point of damage. Yeah, there you go perfect that one i did not know about pretty pretty funny pretty niche but pretty interesting. yeah very niche definitely maybe that's why it's underplayed no one wants to get mind slivered than spell sky did to death <laughs> i can't play skills spell sky what if they emrakul cool me yeah <laughs> all right this next one is actually really interesting it's called beginning of combat step but this is by far the most the thing that i think people just do not understand that's actually a much bigger part of the game than a lot of other sort of niche interactions we've talked about so far yeah these this especially this first one's probably a little more well known but it's like you said it's more likely that you'll run into the scenario right how often does your opponent have a spell guide and you're going to steal their turn <laughs> yeah. not that often you're going to go into combat many times in a game so let's talk about the beginning of combat step first of all um, well, to, to understand the beginning of combat step, we have to understand that combat is not just a singular step. It has multiple steps and sometimes extra abilities on cards will even give another step to combat. Yeah. So let's look at the combat phase structure. We're going to put a graphic up. There are basically five steps to the combat phase. There is one, the beginning of combat step. Two, the declare attackers step. Three, the declare blockers step. For the combat damage step, if there's first strike damage involved in the combat, there will actually be sort of two phases to that mm -hmm. damage step. And then there's five, the end of combat step. Now, it's important to know that the beginning of combat, the number one on this little graphic, is not occurring during the main phase, but it is before attackers are declared, right? Because we mm -hmm. see number two is declared attacker step. So if you remove or tap down an opponent's creature during the beginning of combat step, they cannot then play sorcery speed stuff. They can't go, oh, you did that. I'm going to play a creature with haste real quick so yeah. I have another creature in combat. It's Unless it has flash or something, they can't do that. So typically when this happens in a game, you'll say, all right, as you go to combat or during your combat step, I'm going to tap it down. Sometimes it, this gets a little misinterpreted because it's very specifically saying you are now in the beginning of combat step. Priority will pass around the entire table. And at that point, when you are not in your main phase, you're not allowed to do anything else. You're stuck in combat. I will do this thing. Yep. And then once like, okay, now I'm done tapping down things. Now you can declare your attackers what stuff is actually happening. This allows you to sort of stop things that might, like something's got an attack trigger. Mm -hmm. They say, I go to combat. You go, okay, in the beginning of combat, I kill it. It never had a chance to attack. They don't get that trigger, that kind of thing. Yeah, so this definitely is something most people know. Um, but again, just know that there are many steps to combat. And now we're going to move to the next one that's relevant to these rules is the end of combat step. This is one we know from experience a lot of people do not know because every time we pull off some shenanigans involving the end of combat step, we get a lot of comments saying, you can't do that. Yeah. That is out, not correct. Turns out you can. You and. can do it. <laughs> we would be crazy if we just kept breaking the rules so nonchalantly. We're not Craig Blanchett around here. <laughs> so listen, I, I don't want to uh, pretend we get all the rules correct. Yeah, true. But you know. Also, Craig does follow the rules. <laughs> when we purposefully do things, sometimes we forget things, but usually when we purposely do, we yeah. have double checked and things like that. Yeah, so yeah. let's talk about the end of combat step. So if we bring that graphic back up that has the, the full combat phase, we're in the end of combat step. And what is that? What happens during that step? Here's where the rules come in. So there are three parts of this for 5.11. So 5.11.1. The end of combat step has no turn-based actions. Once it begins, the active player gets priority. 5.11.2. Abilities that trigger, quote, at end of combat, end quote, trigger as the end of combat step begins. 
Effects that last, quote, until end of combat, end quote, expire at the end of the combat phase. 511.3. As soon as the end of combat step ends, all creatures and planeswalkers are removed from combat. After the end of combat step ends, the combat phase is over and the post-combat main phase begins. But here's the thing. Think about the beginning of combat step and end, this end of combat step as kind of the, the buns of a burger. It mm. starts and ends the thing. But you can't be doing things like swinging, which is the meat of combat, if that makes sense. Or yeah, that's already damage, happened at this point. Which is the ketchup of combat. Wait, this is a brilliant comparison. <laughs> Where's the... Yeah, okay. The lettuce is declaring attackers. I don't know. Where's the special sauce? Uh, onions. I don't know. <laughs> so the end of combat step basically happens after the combat part of it has has ended it's sort of like the calm after the storm before we're like all right and let's begin our turn again yeah before you go back to the main phase but after damage has happened there's this little moment where you are allowed to take actions and it's instant speed action yeah so but it's a time period if you'll notice uh the end of your explanation so 511.3 yep as soon as the end of combat step ends, all creatures and planeswalkers are removed from combat. That means in, up until that point, they are in combat. Mm -hmm. So there's this moment after damage happens, when, but before your main phase begins, where technically creatures are still in combat. So this leads us to a card called Reconnaissance, and there's a Reconnaissance trick that we've done before on the show, and when we do it, people's heads explode. But what you can do, yeah, let me read Reconnaissance. It's one white mana for an enchantment, and it says, oh boy, I lost it. Okay, here it is. And it says, pay zero, remove target attacking creature you control from combat and untap it. And in parentheses, okay. it has reminder tech, that creature neither deals nor receives combat damage this turn. Which might be one of the reasons people get so confused. Yeah, if that wasn't on there, I think they would be less confused by this. I totally agree. So what you're supposed to do is use this, or ostensibly, what, what most people think of when they see this card is you attack with five or six creatures, they block two or three of them, you remove those ones from combat and untap them, and the other ones get through, and you're able to attack in places where you wouldn't want to because you want your creatures to die. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you have a bunch of one ones and they block two of them with five fives, okay, well, they weren't getting through anyway, I'm going to remove them from combat with Reconnaissance. But what you actually can do is just attack with five or six creatures, and then, even if they have zero blockers, do the damage, go to the combat damage step, which is step four, damage gets taken, then you go to the end of combat step, and you go, oh, now I'm going to activate reconnaissance on all my creatures and untap them and remove them from combat. Now, here's the thing. You don't take away the damage that you did to the person. That damage happened. Mm -hmm. The game doesn't, like, rewind and be like, well, if you're going to reconnaissance... That means that the creature shouldn't have dealt damage. Nope, the damage happened. You're just activating this at a point where removing them from combat and having it say they neither deal nor receive combat damage this turn. That's the part that throws people off. That means from that point forward, they won't deal nor receive damage. But they already dealt damage. It will not retroactively take away that damage. Yeah, if they actually blocked or got blocked and got chump blocked, they'll still have damage marked on them. Now, you can still activate Reconnaissance twice during a combat. Once to remove people from, from actually doing damage, and then once after they've done damage too. So this is not just an all or nothing, one or the other sort of thing. Reconnaissance is a very wacky card. And again, because it costs zero to activate and it's an instant speed ability, you can activate it throughout all the different times you get priority throughout the combat phase. It kind of reads, give all your creatures vigilance and also have some other cool stuff you can do yep. like save them when they you know get blocked or whatever another card that's similar is maze of Ith, and you can actually do the same trick with maze of Ith. Mm -hmm. you can tap the land to remove your own creature from combat and untap it after it's already dealt its damage which gives it pseudo vigilance people don't tend to want to do that because they want to save the maze of Ith 
for their opponents. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes you look around and nobody's got any creatures, and it's best to just, well, I might as well have my thing untapped. So some every once in a while, you'll see people do that. And if you have a cards like Sword of Feast and Famine, which deal combat damage and then untap the lanes you control, you can use the Maze of Ith in response to that trigger because the damage has been dealt. The trigger's on the stack, so the Maze of Ith will ta- tap, untap your creature that's already dealt combat damage, and then the Sword of Feast and Famine trigger will untap your lands. Yep, that's a really cool thing to do because it allows you to sort of have your Sword of Feast and Famine creature still for defense, yep. but and also still have your Maze of Eth ready to use against your opponents. Yeah, maybe you want that creature for defense because it's got pro black and green against something else instead of the Maze of Eth to unblock something. Now, there are actually some combos that you can do using this, and I, I think technically for a lot of these combos, you don't even need the end of combat step, but you uh-huh. could do it then. So if you have a creature that untaps multiple lands, what you can do... Let's say Argothian Elder is one of them. Crocean Restore can also do it. I think you have to meet Threshold. Yep. Um, so Argothian Elder is a creature. It's a 2-2, and you tap it to untap two target lands. So if you get Argothian Elder into combat, uh, you would have to have it be untapped in combat. No, no, you don't actually have to have it be untapped. It attacks. Right. You have Maze of Ith out. You tap your Maze of Ith to untap the Argothian Elder, and then you tap the Argothian Elder to untap Maze of Ith and another land. Ah, there you go. Then you tap the land and Maze of Ith to untap the Elder, and you just do that as many times as you feel like that Gain will be one mana, mana each time. Yep. Yep. Now, you're in combat, so you can only use that mana on instant speed things. Like a Shivan Dragon? <laughs> sure. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That's a sweet way to fire breathe somebody out. Yeah, there you honestly. go. Or go the another Maze of Ith Shivan Yeah, I was dragon. thinking like, you know, well, whatever. Okay, something that killed everybody, but that's a good one too. Yeah, or maybe you have something that lets you carry mana across steps and phases or something right, like right. that. Right, right. Yeah, man does not leave your man pool. Omnath, great example of this. Yeah. So this isn't using the end of combat because you can do it at any point really, right. but it's still cool. All right. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's a lot of fun stuff. Um, obviously, again, combat is very complicated, but just think about it again, sort of as there's a beginning and end and and during that point, you can use instant speed abilities, activate instant speed, beat effects. Well, we're not even done talking about the uh, end of combat. That's stuff, right. Actually. Yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's one more, more thing. <laughs> we named it Attackrifice. So this comes up less often in Commander, but you can use the knowledge of the end of combat step with cards like Wing Shards, uh, Blessed Alliance, cards that say target player sacrifices an attacking creature. So what tends to happen is they get to choose which creature to sacrifice, which makes cards like this less good. If they attack you with two or three things and you play wing shards, they're going to sacrifice the worst thing they got. Right. But what you can do is maybe block. Let's say you have a, you know, a 2-2 blocker. They attack you with a 2-2 and something high value, like a, I don't know. An angel. Sure. A shivan dragon. A shivan dragon. Thank you. If you cast wing shards before damage is dealt, they're going to sacrifice the 2-2, and the shivan's still going to be there hitting you. Right. What you can do, though, is block your 2-2 on their 2-2, wait for damage to happen, the two 2-2s die, Mm -hmm. the shivan dragon will hit you, but then after combat damage, you're in that end of combat step, you can go, okay, now I'm going to cast wing shards and you have to sacrifice an attacking creature. And like we said, technically those creatures are still in combat. They're still attacking it. Then they will have to sh- sacrifice their Shivan dragon. Right. So that's a way to basically, if they know that you have an effect like this too, you can even point a removal spell at the creature that you don't want them to sacrifice and leave them with only one option. Yeah, maybe the other one's got Hexproof. They're a really good creature. Yeah, and this is like an Edict Effect in the middle of combat, so it's even more specific when this has to happen because typically Edict Effects aren't as great in Commander, so this is a little niche, but it is a fun one. All right. 
Let's move on to the next one. Okay, this one's actually very crazy. Cloning Creature Lands. Okay, so Creature Lands, we all know what these are. These are lands that are able to turn into creatures by paying some mana into it, satisfying some condition. And there's a very interesting interaction with these if you clone lands, ones like Mutavolt. Because the clone... If Mutavolt is a creature, you pay the man to turn it into that 2-2, and then you clone it, the clone becomes an unanimated copy of Mutavolt. So it's not actually a creature when you clone it. So you make a Mutavolt, you cast some sort of spell on it, the cast a spell that clones it. That spell is not a creature. It actually is just a land called Mutavolt. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It, it feels weird, right? Like, I activate my Mutavolt, turn it into a 2-2, then I cast Phantasmal Image targeting the Mutavolt, and the phantasmal image turns into a land. Yeah, I, and I would be have a to tutu. Pay, yeah, I would have to pay a mana into the phantasmal image now to turn it into that tutu. But when you think about it, let's let's reference the Shivan Dragon now, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say you had a Shivan Dragon and you spent four red mana into it to make it a nine five. If you cloned it, the clone won't get the activations of fire breathing, right? right? So that's kind of the, I think a similar thought process here. Yeah, and that's actually a, a rules mistake people make all the time. It's like, why wouldn't I copy all of the attributes? Well, here's the thing: when you actually use an activated ability to create those attributes, the ability applies in layers, and then it change, but it doesn't actually copy that. It just looks at the printed characteristics of the object. The other effects have been applied to the object, so those things aren't copied because they're not part of the printed characteristics. So your phantasmal image. Can copy a Mishra's Factory, an Ink Moth, a Blink Moth, a Celestial Colonnade, whatever, and effectively turn into a land that has an activated ability to become the creature. This actually brings up some interesting lines where maybe you use something like Phantasmal Image or whatever as a ramp spell. Yeah, I thought about this quite a bit uh, because it's one in the blue, just like Rampant Growth is, but instead of finding a land out of your library, you're basically turning it into another colorless. So I'm thinking the only decks I think that could justify doing this are a mono blue deck that just wants to create more options because Phantasmal Image is already a Phantastic card. <laughs> Phantastic card. So you just I, happen to have a Misha's Factory, but that's the thing is you have to still animate that land to become a land for it then to have a legal target so it actually, into a land. Yeah, it, it actually isn't Rampant Growth because it costs one to activate the Muta Vault and then two to Phantasmal Image it. So you can't do that on turn two. It yeah. would have to be turn three. So it's a three mana ramp spell. However, if you have Phantasmal Image and maybe a couple other clones in your deck, it might be worth running like a Muta Vault or something mm -hmm. just to get you out of situations where you're like low on mana and you it's desperation like i wouldn't want that to be the main reason yeah. i have phantasmal image in my deck but it might be worth it to put one or two of these in just as to have an out in those situations i mean if you're in the monocolor you're already gonna be able to run more of those lands maybe you have a blink moth or an ink moth nexus too and those are pretty good cards to have in uh, a lot of decks i was also thinking it might be pretty good in my orvar deck i don't already have mutavolt i hadn't really thought about this oh, but right. there are plenty of uh, inst one mana instance in that deck that only target creatures. Mm -hmm. So just the ability to go like activate my Mutavolt, now I can actually clone the Mutavolt with my creature right. targeting stuff right. is good. Okay, that's all cool, right? Like people are like, okay, what's the big deal here? Because there is actually a very cool thing that you can do with this interaction. Um, and it's with... It's with a Jimmy card. I consider this to be a Jimmy card. <laughs> Actually, a I consider this to be a Craig card because that's where <laughs> I first heard about it. All right. So there's a trick with a card called Mirror Weave. You want to read it? Yep. So it's two and then two Azorius mana, four mana for an instant. Each other creature becomes a copy of target non-legendary creature until end of turn. So it takes the creatures that exist and they create copies of a target non-legendary creature. The thing you're targeting is that creature, non-legendary. So... You can actually use Mirror Weave to dodge a board wipe, like Supreme Verdict or something, by turning 
all creatures into mutavaults. Right, because of the same thing that just we talked about with the phantasmal image. Yeah, they'll turn into mutavaults, but they won't. They'll need to be activated to be creatures. So they just basically become lands. Supreme Verdict only destroys creatures. This will save your creatures. Yeah. Now it turns all each other creature on the battlefield everybody's but generally when you're the one that doesn't want a board wipe to happen it's because you have the most creatures right right and here's the thing if you save everyone's stuff and you're, you've got the most dominant board good job i don't think people play mirror weave too often it definitely is a niche thing but again if you're running this strategy and you have this ability to do so i could see this actually being pretty nice because there are other creature lands it's not just me the vault yeah celestial colonnade we've already mentioned den of the bugbear any land that has again the ability to turn into a creature yeah, and, and also will work against things like Psychonic Rift that reference non-land permanents. That's uh, right. a way to turn all your creatures into lands. Right, right. So then they won't get rid of. Um, I like that you said Den of the Bugbear there. Speaking of creature lands. That's right. There's something else now that we're going to talk about. Lands called ability stacking. Stacking, stacking. Stacking. This is the next weird and wacky MTG rule, yeah. Stacking, stacking. It doesn't have quite the same ring. So you're adding multiple abilities to a land that cares about it because it's going to trigger multiple times. So you can actually, I didn't know this, you can infinite win, you can instant win with infinite mana with a card like Den of the Bugbear because it has an ability that specifically can be broken by it being used multiple times. Yeah, so you would have to have infinite red. Let's be clear about that. But... Den of the Bugbear looks pretty innocuous. You want to read the card? Yep. So it's a land that enters the battlefield tapped. If you, uh, sorry, if you control two or more lands, they enter the battlefield tapped. You can tap it to add a red mana. And for three and a red, it says, until end of turn, Den of the Bugbear becomes a 3-2 red goblin creature with, quote, whenever this creature attacks, create a 1-1 red goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking, end quote. It's still a land. So three and a red, it becomes a creature, but it also adds an ability that creates a 1-1 when it's attacking. So here's the thing. If you have infinite mana, you activate it a second time. Now, uh -huh. the second time, it's already a 3-2, so that part does nothing. However, it now has a second instance of the ability whenever this creature attacks, create a 1-1 goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. Yep. You activate it a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time. <gasps> you monster. By the 10,000th time, you when it attacks, it's going to create 10,000 1-1 goblins that are tapped and attacking. Incidentally, too, I think a lot of people don't know this, but when something enters the battlefield tapped and attacking, you, as the controller of that thing, get to choose which player or planeswalker it goes to. It's attacking. Unless the card that's creating it specifically says... Tapped and attacking the same opponent. Yeah, that opponent. Like, Cali of the Vast says, uh, you put the dragon, demon, or angel onto the battlefield tapped and attacking that, that opponent. opponent. Right. So it's the opponent that Cali is uh, attacking. But Den of the Bugbear doesn't say that, so you can assign those goblins to be going wherever you want. Yep, so the same thing apparently also works with Raging Ravine and Genju of the Fields. Genju of the Fields is an interesting one. Yeah, you want to read it? So it adds the ability. It becomes a 2-5. Uh, it's Sorry, it's Enchant Planes. So it can be, it's an enchantment that goes on planes. And then you pay two, and until end of turn, Enchanted Planes becomes a 2-5 white spirit creature with whenever this creature deals damage, you gain that much life. It's still a land. Ah. So that would mean that if you activated infinite times and attacked... As long as they didn't like block and sack or as long as it actually gets to dealt da deal damage, you'll gain every single instance of that ability. Infinite if you're playing arena, it's like that time when someone does something and all of a sudden yeah. a whole line of things line up on the screen. Yep. And you gain infinite life. Yeah. And Raging Ravine is uh, one, one counters. Neither right. of these are quite as good as Den of the Bugbear, which just wins. Just wins the game. Yeah. yeah. And here's the thing. You can even write, do it in your second main phase. If you somehow get the mana in your second main phase, you can play an extra attack step spell and then boom you're off to the races again yeah pretty cool i didn't realize how dangerous 
every time somebody plays Den of the Bugbear now, I'm going to be like, oh, crap. What if they make infinite mana? Like, I just doing? lose? You just yeah. lose. I, I never was scared of that card until now, and now I'm always going to be scared. That's why you play Strip Mine. All right, we have a whole bunch more weird and wacky rules in Magic coming up. But before we get to those, we got to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. All right, we are back talking about some of the wackiest, wildest, wonkiest rules interactions that you can pull across in Commander. And sometimes they help you, sometimes they're just kind of crazy. We have a bunch more coming up. So let's start off with something that I still find a lot of confusion with because we're going to spend a few rules on this, but auras and hexproof. Yeah, this is a, it's a weird one. I guess yeah. they have all been weird and wild and wacky and wonky. So that's the whole point of this. Yep. Auras only target when you cast them. Okay. So you cannot cast Imprisoned in the Moon or Song of the Dryads targeting a creature with lightning greaves on it, right? Mm -hmm. But if an aura enters the battlefield and is not cast, then it does not target. It, says, it instead says you choose a legal target. And choosing something is not targeting and it gets around Shroud and Hexproof. A good example of this choose thing is when Olivia on the holiday episode of Game Nights mm -hmm. could choose you, Jimmy, for Saskia. Oh, that's right. Even though you were to fairies protected. Right. Because choosing is not targeting, it gets around the hexproof stuff. So if you cast Imprisoned in the Moon, Song of the Dryads, you'll have to target something legal. But then once it's on the battlefield, if you could somehow get it to blink, ah, get exiled and come back in with, so now it's entering the battlefield, you haven't cast it. Then you could attach it to a Narset or something that has Lightning Reeves or whatever. Right. And there are a few cards that actually do this. So Flickering is one of my favorite things to do in the game. Teferi's Time Twist exiles a target permanent you control. So you can cast it on something else, even one of your own things. You cast it to Teferi's Time Twist. It gets exiled. It returns the card uh, to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. You do not cast it. You do not need to target anything. It enters the battlefield. It still must choose a legal target. So in Prison of the Moon, you just flicker your own thing. Remember... If you cast Imprisoned in the Moon on somebody else's creature, 
you still control the enchantment the right imprisoned in the moon you don't control their creature mm-hmm. so you could still target the imprisoned in the moon yeah there are two planeswalkers that also can blink or flicker um enchantments aminatu and venzer the sojourner can both do it with their activated abilities so that's an- again another way to sort of get around hexproof and and a lot of like narsets and things are very scary and you need to be able to target them and that's a tricky way to sort of get to slow them down or you know well imprison them in a moon yep if you're playing any of those blinky decks these sort of uh imprison the moon oblivion rings banishing light types of effects are all going to be really relevant because you can also just reset the targets if you choose hey you know what i don't care so much about that thing a new problem has entered the battlefield i gotta deal with that well good segue speaking of blinking enchantments and oblivion ring and stuff the next weird and wacky rule we're going to talk about is eternal oblivion ring sounds like a new magic set (laughs) (laughs) so uh oblivion ring and fiend hunter are sort of two cards that have interesting wording they're basically worded the same and the way they're templated means you can do some interesting stuff jimmy do you want to read o-ring yep so oblivion ring two and a white for an enchantment when oblivion ring enters the battlefield exile another target non-land permanent period and then the second line of text when oblivion ring leaves the battlefield return the exiled card to the battlefield under its owner's control Okay, so notice that it's two triggers. Yep. When it enters, do this. When it leaves. When it leaves, do that. This actually causes an issue where you're able to use Fiend Hunter or Oblivion Ring, sort of permanently exile something, take away the ability for the Oblivion Ring to bring it back. So let's say the O-Ring enters, the ETB trigger goes on the stack, Jimmy targets my commander. Get out of here. Now, if he can remove the Oblivion Ring before that enter the battlefield trigger resolves... What will happen is the leaves the battlefield trigger will go on the stack on top of the enter the battlefield trigger. Yep. So that trigger will say, oh, Oblivion Ring left the battlefield. Let's return the thing to the battlefield. And it'll go, oh, there's nothing in exile because I haven't exiled anything yet because the ETB triggers below that on the stack. And so it just won't return anything. And then the enter the battlefield trigger will resolve and say, oh, let's exile that thing. And boom, Oblivion Ring is not even around because it got removed. And that yep. thing is just in exile for good. Yeah, it's really interesting because the way that this the stacking works, when you do something new in Magic, it goes on top of whatever is currently happening because you're waiting for that to resolve. So in this case, the Oblivion Ring, the thing that needs to be able to locate the items for these effects to bring the cards back, is just gone. It pieced out. It went home. And everyone's like, wait a minute. Well, I guess that thing is just gone forever. Yeah. It's, it's a little harder to blink... Um, Oblivion Ring and Fiend Hunter because you're responding to an ETB trigger, so you have to do it at instant speed. So Aminatu, Venzer, the Sojourner cannot normally do that without help from another card. Yep, Tavarius Time Twist can. Tavarius Time Twist can, but there aren't a lot of ways to blink enchantments. However, you don't actually have to blink specifically in this case. The O-Ring or the Fiend Hunter just has to leave the battlefield before the ETB trigger resolves, which so you could sacrifice them in some way. Claws of Gix will do it. Mm-hmm. You can pay one to sacrifice a permanent to gain a life, or you could also just bounce it. You can just bring it back to your hand, and so cards like Chain of Vapors, uh, Chain of Vapor, it's a blue mana for an instant. You just return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. So you just wait. Again, you cast it, trigger goes on the sack. In response to the trigger, Chain of Vapor, my own O-ring back to my own hand, and that thing is now exiled for good. Now, you do lose your own Chain of Vapor when you do this, or your Teferi's Time Twist when you do this, so there is a bit of a steeper price that you are paying. But you do get the, especially if you Chain of Vapor or Teferi's Time Twist, I suppose, you get the O-ring back, Mm -hmm. so you will get another target for the O-ring. So I think it kind of turns your Chain of Vapor into an exile effect, if you think of it that way, into a path to exile that doesn't give them a land. And then you can get rid of something else next turn that you do want to get rid of as well. 
Now, this does also open the door the way these cards are worded to what I'm going to call stifle trapping. Now, that's a dance form. <laughs> we talked about this a little when there was the uh, the rule change. Uh, I guess it was about a year ago now where they changed Commander Dies triggers. Mm -hmm. And they changed the way that you sort of move commanders around when they change zones and how you can sort of, oh, they hit the graveyard and then you get a dies trigger and then you can move into the command zone or whatever. So one thing that happens now is if somebody casts an O-Ring or a Fiend Hunter targeting your commander, once that ability resolves, forget all the stuff we just talked about. When mm -hmm. it resolves, it's supposed to send your commander to exile. And at that point, it's going to hit the exile zone and you get to decide. Where do I want this to go? Do I want it to stay in exile or do I want it to go to my command zone? Yep. Now, if you had an enchantment or creature removal spell in your hand, I could very easily see somebody going, sure, I'm going to let it stay in exile because I'm going to kill that Fiend Hunter in a second and then I don't have to recast my commander and pay the full, full price for it. However, you have to be a little bit careful. We talked about this in uh, correlation with Rune. We had a, did a whole video about yes, it. Yes, how Rune can permanently exile things. So again, Fiend Hunter comes in, gets rid of your commander. You go, you know what? I'm going to board wipe next turn. No problem. You board wipe, the Fiend Hunter goes away, and then bam, that trigger goes on the stack. They haven't done any shenanigans. When Fiend Hunter leaves the battlefield, return the exile card to the battlefield under its owner's control. So you're like, sweet, my commander, it's about to come back out into the battlefield. All's going to be good in the world. And they go, you know what? I'm going to stifle that triggered ability. I'm going to counter that triggered ability. Yep. There's a bunch of cards that do it. Disallow. Nimble Obstructionist. Those are kind of the two I'd say we see the most often. People do play straight up Stifle sometimes, though. Yep, yep. It's very cheap and effective and can stop big things. And it can also stop fetch lands, which is funny. And your problem in this instance is that that commander is not moving anywhere. Yep. It's staying where it was in exile. There is not... The game does not give you now the opportunity to be like, okay, well, shoot. If it's going to be in exile, I'd rather put it in the command zone. Nope. No choices anymore. It's just You gone. had that decision point and you chose to keep it in exile. And that means that if somebody does that to your commander, you really have to think, do I want to risk it if they're in blue? It, it, there is a point where maybe you just say, ah, whatever, I'm going to pay the commander tax, but I don't want to lose access to my commander forever this game. Yeah, and the problem with this one is that this happens after the fact. When they're just eternal oblivion ringing it, it's like, okay, yeah, you got rid of it, it goes to the command zone. In this case, you're kind of given that false sense of hope or maybe yeah. a real sense of hope you don't know so it's definitely an interesting and niche interaction you can also just get rid of the triggers on the stack by casting something like time stop or glorious end ways to end the turn at instant speed discontinuity uh -huh. does the same thing because that exiles all spells and abilities from the stack including the card itself usually yeah so you'd wait for the leave the battlefield to go on the stack they cast time stop ends the turn mm -hmm. and that's it there it's never going to bring the thing back from exiles yeah so watch out for that as well yeah if you're playing a norn the wary deck which i did for about two days and oh norn yeah goes away and then someone stifles time stops or whatever at the end of the end step when the triggers on the stack your commander ain't coming back anytime norn soon. is just gone yeah norn the actual lost <laughs> yeah. he's looking for fiddle thip yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah watch out norn the wary decks watch out for those stifles all right, um, the next weird and wacky rule. This is an interesting one, and it's actually a change. I think I think people knew this interaction, and now the interaction doesn't work, so we're kind of hopefully catching people up. So we're calling it Return from Banishment. Sounds like the third movie in the trilogy. So they learned their lesson from O-Ring and Fiend Hunter and have sort of re-templated how these types of cards work now. So there's a card called Banishing Light, uh, Two in the white for an enchantment. When Banishing Light enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls until Banishing Light leaves the battlefield. Ah, they put the text together now. Right. So there is no way to sort of find a moment where you can trick these triggers. Yep. 
if you cast Banishing Light and target something and when that triggers on the stack, remove Banishing Light, nothing ever gets exiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Banisher Priest, Grasp of Fate, they're all templated this way. Now, there used to be this really interesting interaction where Banishing Light would pull your commander back into play, even if you chose to put it in the command zone from exile. Right. So you could cast Banishing Light on somebody's commander. They go, okay, I'm going to put it in command zone. Banishing Light would still sit out there. And then later, somebody casts something that destroys all enchantments, or maybe you cast something that destroys that enchantment. And it would say, oh, Banishing Light's leaving the battlefield because... Mm-hmm moving your commander to the command zone instead of exile was a replacement effect. It would actually just yank the commander out of the command zone and put it into the battlefield. Yeah, and this was originally with commander the way that works because this was a brand new mechanic they were introducing. They've always been sort of refining it. The command zone was the first public zone that your commander would go to. So it wouldn't go somewhere else, go on a journey. It would go to the command zone after being exiled. It wasn't being replaced. Not even after, just instead of being exiled. instead of being exiled, yeah. And so Banishing Light doesn't care if it actually gets exiled. It just knows, and it's tied to that card specifically and the journey that's taken if that makes sense yeah it basically says you know it replaced the word exile on the on the card banishing light and it says when banishing light enters the battlefield uh, target non permanent tar- puts tar- it- put target non permanent into the command zone until banishing light leaves the battlefield right that's yeah. kind of how it would be rewritten however this no longer works yes. this is not the way it works anymore because when they change the commander dies triggers which is a good thing by the way all yeah. of us agree it's a good thing so with the new commander death rule implemented in 2020, your commander will go to exile. Then when state-based actions are checked, you can choose to move it to the command zone. This causes Banishing Light to lose track of it because it did land in the exile zone mm-hmm. for a hot second, and then it moved. So that second move, it just doesn't see. If something went to the graveyard and you got the dies trigger and then you moved to command zone, it won't like whatever was looking for it in the graveyard won't find it anymore. It just doesn't know where it went. Yeah, and it's a good thing it doesn't know where it went because let's say that something happens, the commander goes to the zone, and you're like, you know, I want to actually find a way to put it into the graveyard. Then you can't have cards like Banishing like pulling it out of the graveyard. There needs to be a point when it separates its connection to the card, and that's when it goes to death area, another zone, and then state-based actions are checked. That is something we won't get into, but at that point, the commander, you can choose, move it to the command zone, move it into exile, and then, and then the Banishing Light will be like, oop, can't see it no more. I don't know where it went. It was there. Yep. It's like my car keys. Yep. Uh, we wanted to note a couple things here. Just because your commander goes to another zone doesn't always mean you get to move it to the command zone. Right, right, right. You need there to be a moment where state-based actions are checked. So let's say it goes to the command zone. Sorry, let's say it uh, goes to the zone and then leaves the zone as part of a single effect uh, on the stack resolving. That would leave you with no opportunity to put it into the command zone. Necromantic selection is sort of the marquee card that does this. You want to read it? Yep. So because, again, of the commander death rule that's been implemented, necromantic selection now works. It's four black, black, black for a sorcery. This is all one line of text. Destroy all creatures, then return the creature card put into a graveyard this way to the battlefield under your control. And then it becomes a zombie and you exile the card. So because this is all tied together to destroy all creatures, the commander included as well, and then return the creature card put into a graveyard this way onto the battlefield under your control. There's no point during this trigger where you can split it in half and go, hey, the commander moved places. What happens to it now? It's all part There's of no the same trigger. Thing. Right. Yeah. It just says, kill him, grab that, put it out. So your commander is going to go to the graveyard and they can choose your commander and put it onto the battlefield on their side. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no point in there. You can move it to the command zone. Mm-hmm. But if they didn't choose your commander, and then at that point, after the necromantic selection has resolved, it would then say, state-based actions, commander, where do you want to go? This also works with flicker cards that uh, exile and then return all in one mm-hmm. fell swoop. So ghostly flicker, if someone steals your commander, hits it with ghostly flicker, you don't get to go wait. 
I want to put that in the command zone because it got exiled. Because of the way that it's worded, there's no time in there for state-based actions to be checked. Yeah. Your commander will get exiled and then return to the battlefield immediately, and you have no opportunity to zone it. Yeah, and you actually cannot stifle something from returning from Banishing Light either when that trigger goes on the stack because it's an effect that is lasting for a set duration. It's not like a new trigger that goes on the stack. So You can't the, stifle trap off Grasp of Fate or Banishing Light. Yeah, that's yeah. that's really interesting. <laughs> it's because the duration... It really is, sounds like we're playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the duration, uh, it doesn't create a delayed trigger that's going to happen some, at some other time. Right, right. It sets a duration, and the duration is just as long as this thing is out. Mm -hmm. So if, if you were to stifle... There's, well, A, there's nothing to stifle, but even if you could, it would just try again later. Yeah. Yeah, so. Okay. Pretty interesting. <laughs> My head hurts, Josh. Well, if it hurts now, Jimmy, it might hurt a little more in a second because this is the most contentious rule that we came across in all of this, and there was a lot of argument within the office yeah, about literally people going up and down goes. the stairs looking at their phone, typing into their computers, going, wait, 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 but this. And I'm then, literally like this. Texting, texting a higher authority about the highest I can think of. God. To get, yeah, to get <laughs> a ruling on this. Yeah. So, we're going to call this section, if that still betrays. So something <laughs> that one, still good. works, even though we just talked about why Banishing Light doesn't work, and it would seem like this applies. Nope. It, yeah. It's <laughs> pretty unintuitive, but if that betrays still works. And what do we mean by works? We mean if you sacrifice your commander while, it that, while your opponent has it that betrays, mm -hmm. even if you put that commander into the command zone, like, it would die, hit the graveyard. You go, okay, I'm going to put that in Base. the command zone. Yep. The controller of It That Betrays will still get that card onto the battlefield. Yep. It That Betrays does not reference a zone, so it doesn't care at all where the thing went. It really just says, was it sacrificed? If so, I will find it. And the text on this just says, it's very simple. Whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent, put that card onto the battlefield under your control. So... You're thinking, wait a minute, isn't this going to fall under the exact same rules as Banishing Light? Because, you know, it, it, how does it see it once it moves places? Doesn't care. So this is, this is a corner case. When something gets sacrificed, that is a unique sort of modifier slash new definition of, on, of what happened to that creature, and that follows it where it goes. Changing of zones does not change the fact that it was a sacrificed non-token permanent. The way Sheldon, and Sheldon is the higher authority that I went to to, you know, settle the internal debate, described it. He says, it that betrays doesn't reference zones, uh, just the fact that something was sacrificed, so it'll find it wherever. And if you think about Banishing Light, it says exile, exile target non-land permanent. So there must be something there that's saying, I'm going to look in exile for right. this thing. It that betrays doesn't reference a zone, so it doesn't care. It's like, I don't care where you went. All what I care about is, were you sacrificed? Yeah. And then it looks and it says, were you sacrificed? And yeah, I, I was. Okay, fine. I don't care where you went. Get kinda over here. Get reminds, over here. Kind of reminds me of that movie, It Follows. Oh, yeah. Where you my sacrifice something, that. and then five days later, you're like, why is there something popping out of my deck box? <laughs> and then it flies out <laughs> and goes back to the original controller, and it's Craig Blanchett. Wahaha. It Follows, good movie. David yeah, Robert yeah, yeah. Mitchell, my buddy. That, nice, nice. That's cool. And that movie is terrifying. I had a nightmare just watching the trailer. Yeah. That's how scary it was. Okay. <laughs> That's how I know him because he was a trailer before, so it makes oh, sense, right? Oh, there yeah. you go. Oh, wow. Good job, team. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next weird and wacky rule, Jimmy? Faster than the stack. Faster Whoosh. than the stack. 
So I, th- I see the flash in there. Yeah. <laughs> the animators are like, nope, not doing that. Maybe some lightning? <laughs> yes. So split second is a ability we haven't seen for a while, but it technically is a, it, you would believe it stops things from being able to interact with it. It says, you know what? This is the final spell on the stack when I cast this. Cross and grip or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, let me read split second really fast here just so you get the, the text of it. If something has split second, it says as long as this spell is on the stack, players can't cast spells or activate abilities that aren't mana abilities. So split second is like, boom, I play it. You can't do anything. It's going to happen. Yep, and typically this is a great thing because this is your crossing grip can 100% get rid of it's uncounterable, right? It can't because they can't even cast a spell. How could they counter it? Yeah, exactly. Counter it, counter it. How can they counter it? They can't. <laughs> they canter it. But it turns out there are ways to get around split second. There are ways to be faster than the stack. Yes, and it says it right on the card, right? You can't activate abilities that aren't mana abilities. And typically you would think, oh, this means uh, you tap a land to generate mana. That is a mana ability. But there are actually mana abilities on other cards out there. Right, so the altars, Ashnod's altar, Phyrexian altar. They both say sacrifice a creature and then add some amount of mana to your mana pool. So those are mana abilities. Phyrexian tower, you tap and sacrifice a creature, add two black. Mm -hmm. That is a mana ability. These abilities can still be used even if somebody casts a split second spell. And a number of the good split split second spells they steal your creatures. So you would much rather sacrifice them if you could. So there's take possession, sudden substitution, which sort of causes the person who casts it to switch the control of two two of their opponent's creatures. Um, There's word of seizing, which is like an act of treason with split seconds. Yeah, and typically you would think, oh, well, if they take my thing, they take my thing, I can't sacrifice it in response. You only can if it is a mana ability. That's the specific sort so of So if you had Viserasir, Viserasir? Viserasir. Sorry. Viserasir. Viserasir. If they cast Word of Seizing, you can't sacrifice it, right? Split Second says you can't activate that ability because that's not a mana ability. It's a scry ability. So yeah. mana abilities are basically the ability to add mana to your mana pool. Phyrexian Tower and the Altars all do that. Interestingly, Split Second doesn't say anything about triggered abilities. Ah. So if you have like a Grave Pact or something out, you could, cares about that. You could still sack to Ashnod's Altar, get the Grave Pack trigger. A number of things could happen. You just can't cast spells or activate abilities. So right. Split Second, actually, when you start to look at it, it's a little more vulnerable than you would think. And speaking of triggered abilities, Jimmy? It's, it's morphing time. time! So morph <laughs> is, the, is an ability on cards where you pay three mana and put them face down as a 2-2 creature. Mm-hmm. And then they have a morph cost, which you pay, and then you flip them over, and they become the creature rather than a generic 2-2. A weird rule about morph is that activating the morph part of it, unmorphing, I guess? Unmorphing, or mega-morphing in certain cases. Right. <laughs> That's morphin' time morphin'. <laughs> This does not use the stack. It is a quote-unquote special ability, I think, or yep, a special... special ability, I think. Yeah, so this doesn't actually use the stack. You can do it. It's not interactable. It's not going to put a trigger on the stack when you do so. And they did this because of gameplay reasons, and specifically because you have little tutus before they turn into something else. Right, so I think they did this because they didn't want you to be like, okay, I unmorph my card. Pay seven the, mana to do so. And imagine that itself was a trigger. So the trigger to unmorph goes on the stack. And then somebody goes, ah, oh, lightning bolt your tutu. Ah. That feels pretty crappy. So they decided, like, when it unmorphs, it becomes the thing, and there's no moment where a shock or a lightning bolt could still catch it as a tutu. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes morph a little bit more viable. I think that's why they designed it that way. But this means that morph, and specifically the triggered abilities you get when you unmorph things, because almost 
almost all cards with morph, I think that's true, don't quote me on it, have some sort of trigger that happens when you unmorph them. How about this? The good ones do. There you go. Wink! There you go. There you go. <laughs> so let's say they cast a sudden spoiling or a Crocean grip on your omniscience. Well, I say no, because I'm going to pay two mana to unmorph my Willbender. And it says when Willbender is turned face up, change the target of target spell or ability with a single target. Split second says nothing about putting new abilities and things on the stack. It just says you cannot cast spells or activate abilities that aren't mana abilities. Morphing is a special action. It's not any of those things. It flips over and creates an ability that goes on the stack that then you can use to change the target of a Crows and Grip. Yep, it's a triggered ability, so it just doesn't... Split seconds like, crap, I don't do anything about against triggered abilities. And you're like, cool, change the Crows and Grip so that it gets rid of his soul ring. Right. Thank you. Yeah, and yeah, here's welcome. the thing. Crows yeah, and Grip is still a very good card. These things oh, yeah. that we're talking about are pretty niche in general, but it just goes to show that, what again, if you read the card, it's going to tell you everything you need to know about it. But sometimes you don't think you need to dive that deep into the specifics, but in these cases, you do. Uh, there's other cards like Willbender, Stratus Dancer, Void Mage Apprentice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, basically, if you got Split Second and somebody has a morph, think very, very, think a lot before you take any action. Yep. You kind of only need to know three morphs, and we just mentioned them. Yeah. Willbender, Stratus Dancer, Void Mage Apprentice. There you go. Okay. Let's go to the next crazy, wacky rules interaction. This this one isn't super crazy. I think a lot of people do know about this, but it is interesting. And this mm-hmm. is a thing I've seen new players get caught up on before. So it's something we wanted to throw in the mix here. It's death touch. It all, all This next couple of points has to do with death touch. Of all of the things we talked about, you may run into this one the most. Yeah. So death touch has some unique ways that it interacts with other keyword abilities. So let's start with death, death touch plus trample. Um. The, the rule with Trample is that, let's say I've got a 10-10 with Trample, and Jimmy blocks with a 4-4. We all know that 6 damage is going to go through, but how does the game determine that outcome? It's not just 10 minus 4. Right. So the game says you have to assign lethal damage to the blocking creature, but the rest will Trample through. Mm-hmm. So if a creature has Death Touch and Trample... Only one damage is required to deal lethal to the creature blocking it. So if I have a 10-10 and Jimmy has a 4-4, but my 10-10 has trample and death touch, Jimmy's going to take 9. Yep, because only one damage of the 10 needs to go through to assign lethal damage. So that's a loophole that, again, allows 9 damage to trample through. Now, if Jimmy blocks with two creatures, he'll take 8. Three mm-hmm. creatures, he'll take 7. Because, again only have to ass- uh, to assign one damage to each of them. Yep. The next sort of version of how Death Touch works with uh, the keyword ability is Death Touch and First Strike. So again, if you remember, we talked about the combat steps. There's an additional combat step that gets created before the regular combat damage step. It's almost like 3.5. That is First Strike. First Strike means that, or Double Strike as well, contains First Strike and regular damage. You're doing damage before regular combat damage is assigned. So imagine Jimmy's got a 2-2. I've got a 2-2. Jimmy's has First Strike. He attacks me. I block with my 2-2. His first strike damage happens. My creature dies and never gets to strike back against him. Now, if I had a 4-4, that wouldn't work. He'd do two damage to my 4-4, but it would live. And then it would hit him back for a 4, and his creature would die. Unless I have death touch. Right. So imagine now he's got death touch. His 2-2 deals two to my 4-4, but it's death touch damage. That means any amount of it will kill my creature. So my creature dies and does not get to return fire. Now if it has Death Touch, Trample, and First Strike, it only has to do one damage to the 4-4 and one damage will get through. Yep. So <laughs> a 2-2 two, a two, two with First Strike, Death Touch, and Trample blocked by a 4-4 will deal one, one damage, damage to the opponent's attacking. Yeah. Yeah. And Pretty you got a very scary 2-2, two, two, so congratulations. <laughs> All right. We're down to the last wacky and weird rule in 
magic that we're going to talk about today. Not the last one that exists. I don't it, think we uncovered all the ones that exist. <laughs> I don't think so either, and I hope not either. It's one. This one is called Uncounterable? Mm, question mark? So a lot of spells on it will say this spell cannot be countered. However, that is specifically, again, referring to the act of countering. And it's weird because it doesn't say this spell cannot have a... Uh, can't right. be stopped. Stop, he stops, right? It says cannot be countered. And spells that are not a counter spell will say counter target spell. Right. So Supreme Verdict is a pretty good one. It is a sorcery that destroys all creatures, but it says Supreme Verdict can't be countered. Yep. You usually feel pretty good. If you want to cast a board wipe and Supreme Verdict is what you're casting, because it's going to be pretty hard to stop, right? Yep. Unless you do something that's not the same as countering. Again, just like the cross and grip situation, we are looking outside of what the text says. You can actually return the spell to its owner's hand, and that is not a counter. It is a bounce of a spell on the stack. So a card like Venter, Shaper Savant, two blue blue for a low, two two flash. When it enters the battlefield, return target spell or permanent to its owner's hand. So the permanent has to be on the board, but the spell can be on the stack. And if a spell gets removed from the stack, then it won't, won't resolve. It's as if it got countered, mm -hmm. but now it's still in their hand. And if it's Supreme Verdict, maybe they don't have enough mana now to cast it again, especially since people who have Supreme Verdict tend to pretty much assume that it's going to happen and you know do other stuff, maybe attack and then cast it. Uh, they will be very surprised when you use Venser to stop their quote-unquote uncounterable spell. Yep, and for anyone out there that's playing Boseju, another Kamigawa throwback, or Lear, Disciple of the Drowned, which says, right, these spells can't be countered, that is specifically what I was referring to. The text counter needs to appear on the spell that's trying to stop it. However, returning a spell to its hand is sort of just like delaying it a little bit. Yep. So uh, Divide by Zero is a card that does this. Narset's Reversal, yeah. niche, a little niche uses because you do copy the spell, so it wouldn't really work great against Supreme Verdict, but maybe <laughs> other uncounterable spells. Yep. Um, there's also Failure to Comply, which on one half of the card has uh, this kind of effect on it. Yep. And then there's some really weird wording that we haven't really seen much of. So Ashiok's Erasure, don't play this. It's not a good card. Well, I'm sorry play it if you'd like to two blue blue when it enters the battlefield exile target spell uh, play it so, if you would find it fun yeah so it's an enchantment with flash on it that can exile spell maybe in some sort of specific enchantress deck but the rest of the text isn't very relevant to commander pretty interesting though it exiles target spell that is not countering the spell but right. it actually has a better effect than bouncing the spell right yeah yeah that yeah. spell goes into exile like yeah, it's not totally. going to resolve yep but uh, it might come back if they get rid of the ashiox erasure i'm sure there's something we can talk about in terms of bouncing things as well and all that sure there's also a summary dismissal which does uh, exiles all spells, I think, right? Yeah, I think it's all spells and things on the stat. Oh my gosh. We're trying to spell summary on the phone right now. <laughs> Autocorrect is just not our friend. It's not our friend. So, so summary dismissal is exile all other spells and counter all abilities. So it's not an ability that's being countered. It's a spell you're trying to counter and you're exiling it, not countering it. All right. That's interesting. I think the exile all other spells part would have got around can't be countered anyway because it's not targeting, but that's not all right, how that get works. Get this, anyway. though. You have okay. Ashok. We're playing it now, by the way. Ashok's Erasure, it's got three separate lines of text. The second line is your opponents can't cast spells of the same name as the exile card, but the third text says, when Ashok's Erasure leaves the battlefield, return the exile card to its owner's hand. So, to Fairy's time twist, when this enters the battlefield, you exile the target spell, counter on the, and then you... Oh, you stifle the commander from ever coming back. Bingo. You're in blue. We did it. Boom. I did it. <laughs> when he said, don't play that card, he means this card's awesome. You should put it in all the decks. <laughs> Every single deck that it can be in. <laughs> all right. That's going to do it for the weird and wacky rules and interactions of Magic the Gathering. Wow. To the listeners, what is the strangest rules interaction that you have ever personally witnessed in a game of Commander? 
or another format. Or is there something that you've just been wrong about or just learned that you went, oh my gosh, there's no way, or maybe you were playing with it the right way all along. Let us know what these cool little corner cases are. There's always something funny that results as the result of something wild. And sometimes it's even with like unsets. It's just, oh, yeah. yeah, there are five different things that happen, but by the text on the card, we did what was supposed to. Uh, all right. Make sure that if you are going to pick up any cards, maybe you're going to pre-order Kamigawa Neon Dynasty stuff. I would highly recommend it. Channelfireball.com slash command is the place to go. We talked about earlier how they, the marketplace on Channel Fireball is actually the best place online now with the best prices for sealed products specifically because they have so many LGSs and businesses that have access to like sealed product distri distribution. So you're getting great prices on sealed product. If you want to get collector's boosters, bundles, draft set booster boxes mm -hmm. anything like that channel fireball dot com slash command is the place to go or use the promo code command at checkout and hey while you're there while you're at your local game store while you're online wherever it is and you're shopping for something to protect those game pieces you just bought ultra pro is the way to go can't say it enough they have playmats wall scrolls they have all the official art they are the way for you to express your love of magic the gathering in that universe as best as possible because the quality of their playmats i have playmats now going on 10 years almost that are in exact shiny pristine quality some of them are machine washable they got new technology coming out all the time for the sort of stuff ultra pro is the best on the market if you want to protect your stuff they're who josh and i trust yeah there's nobody better all right now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic this one's all you i can support from afar because i haven't seen it yet you haven't watched it yet no no not yet not the newest season okay so on i believe it was on new year's eve yeah it was yeah, yeah. uh a the fourth season of cobra kai released on netflix now our good friends who have been on game nights sholo mariduanya and jacob bertrand love them both big stars in the show i mean they're two of the biggest characters mm -hmm. in the whole show they're really good in this season uh there's actually some really good well-acted scenes um you know i think sholo and jacob are you know both showed their acting chops i mean they definitely have showed their their um, game action, chops yeah their action chops they're like their karate is legit like they've been going on like four or five years now of doing yeah. the show so they've had a lot of training and you know how that is jimmy but i actually thought that this was maybe the best season ever wow um, nice oh i can't wait to watch it though. the first season of a show is always hard to beat right like it's a thing that yeah you. so it's either this season or the first season for me nice just really cool storylines and some really cool reveals and unexpected endings Ooh. yeah so cobra kai on netflix i would uh i would highly recommend it and we know and I think they've, I'm, I know they've announced this. There is going to be a season five mm -hmm. for sure. We know Jacob and Sholo went back to shoot. Uh, they were playing Magic with us quite a bit this summer, and then they had to go back to Atlanta to shoot. shoot it. Yeah. So. Well, hopefully they get a season two of rematching us. I know that they want to come back on the show at some point. So Jacob and Sholo actually also have a podcast called the Lone Lobos Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that I listen to it. It's really good. And I'm hoping we can get on there as a guest at some point as well. I, do you think they'll let us? I don't Maybe know. I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> oh, boy. They've also been killing it on TikTok because they've got a billion followers. But I love... There's just such funny guys. They have yeah. so much energy, too. So it's amazing. Yeah, they got great personality. So if you're on Netflix, Cobra Kai, if you are, have a podcast app, Lone Lobos, check check those guys out. Support them. All Watch that. The show from the beginning. Heck. Yep. All right. Clean up step. Big thanks to our amazing team here at the Command Zone, we've got Arthur Melicroft, Shauna Gillis, Damon Lenz, Lady Danger, Manson Lung, Craig Blanchett, Ashlyn Rose, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Patrick Nan, Jordan Pridgen, Sam Walder, Grav Galati, Truck Ty, Jamie Block, Evan Limberger, and our new IT guy, Mitch Stafford. Trafford. Trafford. Mitch. Mitch. Welcome to the team. Hi, Mitch. Sorry, I, I almost called you Matthew Stafford. Mitch Trafford. <laughs> Mitch has been helping us a lot. We've been... Uh, 
doing some behind the scenes tech stuff. We got a lot going on. And uh, trust me, we got to the point where I was like, I do not know how to pull off some of the stuff we need to pull yeah, off. Yeah, there's a lot of data flying around this office now. Yeah. So anyway, Mitch is a, a great addition to our team. Special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the living card animations that begin our show and offenses behind us. Although Sam did this one. Uh, you can find Jeffrey. If you've had a dreading, slowly increasing anxiety all episode, that's I'm why. just going to cast Mirror Weave. I'm good. Oh, nice. Good call. <laughs> Nonland permanence. Love it. You can find Jeffrey uh, on Twitter at LivingCardsMTG. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for watching. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later. Alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.